evening and welcome to Three Valleys Radio. It's time for another football bloody hell. Now we've been having a few problems with the internet tonight, I think probably down to the bad weather. But uh, uh, please bear with us. But uh, hopefully, all being well, we will have Mr. Tom Bailey on the show. And joining Tom will be Martin Hellier, the chairman and owner of the Overtown Football Club. And not forgetting Steve Russell. So let's hit on into the show and hopefully we will complete the full hour. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. There's a different voice today. Uh, Mr. Pryor is unavailable, as is Mr. Hopper. So um, you're stuck with me today, Tom Bailey. And uh, alongside me, I have uh, two wonderful guests and hopefully a third joining us shortly. We will introduce first uh, Mr. Steve Rutter. Steve, how are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks, Tom. Looking forward to it. Good, good. Uh, we, I hope you weren't up as late as we were yesterday with the whole coach travel home. It was a, a long old way to go. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? And um, I, I, no, I wasn't up that late, but uh, I watched the game on the, on the television. Oh, it was, it, was a, it was a good game as well. We'll touch on that one in uh, in just a moment and alongside me as well at least for the first half hour we've managed to snag just a bit of his time is yeovil town chairman mr martin hellier martin how you doing good evening very well thank you good and it's wonderful to have you here as well what we will hopefully have coming as well is mr rick hyatt uh we will keep you updated on that one so let's get into the main topic of things obviously martin it's great to have you here. You were up at the race course ground with us all uh, yesterday. What are your thoughts on the performance and uh, the fact that, unfortunately, the, the cup run has come to an end? Any thoughts on the FA Cup and, and how it all went? Yeah, I mean, a lot of thoughts, really. I mean, the, the team themselves were very tight, I thought, well organised. Um, you know... You get a lot of talk about Wrexham, Hollywood this and money that. But at the end of the day, you know, we're a National League South team going up against a top of the almost top of League Two uh, team, regardless of how they got there. Um, I thought the t- I thought our team were glowing. I thought they looked great. A couple of little unfortunate ones. I thought the goal just before half time. Part of me sort of feels like the players heard the whistle in their head before it really really happened at least psychologically um so it, perhaps that was a little slip i thought it might have been more like a 2-1 game than uh than, than a 3-0 it was good to be up there and the circumstances in which we were up there in what april were far different the the biggest thing for me the absolute kind of humbling thing for me was and i couldn't see the crowd because they were sort of our, our crowd if you like because they were two or three stands to the right of me, so you couldn't visually see them. But the chanting and the singing, uh, when the full-time whistle went, and, and Coops and the team spent a lot of time on the pitch, standing there sort of um, acknowledging them. And I, and I think they were sort of fairly mesmerised by it because the, the, the singing and the chanting was incredible. And I think that's the difference between losing a game this season and losing one last season. I mean, what... 570 plus fans doing a near on 500 mile round journey on a Sunday night, treacherous weather. Um, and to still support us like that was, was absolutely amazing. And we sort of had a lot of fun with it all weekend, you know, with the Audi stuff and the caterpillars and cuffbirds and all this sort of thing. But it was, it was the fact that, you know, you've just lost three nil and the crowd are chanting as if we've just, one literally won the FA Cup, so it was it was humbling and 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 just a hell of a lot to take in emotionally in terms of in terms of that support. 
yeah, when we were up there commentating, obviously we were there yesterday, myself and Gav, um, just hearing we were near the other end of, of that stand and it was scintillating to hear the sound from from over there like even from the the teams warming up it was it i believe was it came across special. a lot on the tv as well it could be it could be well heard as well so it was you know humbling is the only word for it i mean the level of support and you know i think last year what knocked out by taunton right at the start and 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 this year you know second round and it, it no one expects to go from what we were last season to literally you know winning the fa cup and the, and the stages that we've turned things around in are still beyond what we would have imagined and um it, it was a fantastic experience and i know fans getting home last night there was a lot of trouble on the motorway as well so uh it, it was a long long journey home and even seeing the coaches lined up outside of hewish that morning it just, it just blows you away. And, and you know, I, I know it sounds like lip service, but as owners of the club, to see the level of support we've got now is 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 beyond words, really. And, and Coop says it a lot as to how that positivity affects the players. And it's not lip service. It absolutely fuels that, uh, you know, that drive we've got and that ambition we've got. And, you know, long may it continue. Yeah, Steve, as um, as Martin mentioned, saying it uh, came across quite quite well on the TV. As you said, you were watching on the TV. Um, I, I assume you'd agree with that sentiment. What were your thoughts on the game as well? Yeah, well, first of all, I think if you're going to get an away tie against the football league side, which is you know not really a plump sort of draw as such for for a non-league team, you'd have picked Wrexham away because it's almost like a fairy tale game. And and I think the supporters go up there knowing that you know Wrexham are this bit of a monolith at the moment aren't they they're a huge club with lots of investment so the fans can go and really have a have a good day but with the knowledge that you have got this fantastic fa cup history and that the, the teams whatever team you put out always seem to put on a display in the fa cup because that's the history of the club so i think from that perspective i think it was a, it was as a good a draw as you're probably going to get if you're going to get a league side you know if, if you were away at port vale or stevenage You'd have probably been cursing your luck, to be honest. Wrexham away has got a bit of glamour to it, and you know it's a different game. But it did, yeah. It came across on their supporters were great. I thought our supporters were great. You know, the commentary was that they didn't play as well as they as they have been playing in the league, but so they're maybe a little bit sort of more muted. But it, it, it came across as a proper cup game, a nice, you know, great atmosphere, and and some good football as well at times. You know, I mean, Yeovil at one nil down. Probably had three great chances, and well, two great chances, and then a terrific free kick to you know to get back in the game. And those are the small little things, like you say, you can see then just before half time, which sort of takes a bit of the the steam out. But you know, we came out again second half, played well again. Maybe Wrexham just sort of managed the game and didn't you know, and then obviously a little bit of a slip, loses foot in, and they the clinical score third goal, and it and it looks like a far bigger margin than it really was on the balance of the game. Um, you know, I agree with Martin. A goal, you know, if it had gone down by a goal, it would have probably been a fair reflection on, on the way the lads played. So I, I can fully understand the supporters going and having a great time. Um, and it would have made the journey home, even though they lost, it would have made the journey home a little bit, you know, a little bit more tolerable. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that as well. It definitely wasn't a 3-0 performance. Um, and every single player out there gave it their all. And um, I think they've done everybody proud. So um, obviously, well done to everyone involved. And uh now we can just focus on the league, which uh, we will be bringing you coverage of on Wednesday where we get back underway with uh, Bath City. Now, we've got a couple of questions for you, Martin. I'm just scrolling through uh, where they are. Here we go. So we've got a question from Mr. Cheatham, actually. Um, you mentioned you had plans for the fan zone in the winter. Could, are you able to share any of them or are you, or are you keeping them under wraps for now? I think that's... Um... You know, it's not big stuff. I think we're just aware that, you know, the winter nights are coming in and the bad weather. You get, we we inherited a few licensing issues from the last ownership with regards to, you know, where you can put bars up and where you can serve alcohol and stuff like that. And and uh, Keith West in our stadium ops guy, who's, who's absolutely superb, has, has forged such a 
great relationship with local authorities, police and all that sort of thing. And to add to that, the fans have really helped that with their behaviour and everything that's been happening so far. So it's really just a case of getting us through the winter as far as, you know, getting a bit of cover and a bit of warmth and stuff like that. And then when we go off season next year, we're going to develop that fan zone a little bit more substantially. Clearly, what we've developed in the short time we had has worked really well and it's been well received. There's been a, you know, huge number of people around there, but, you know, we are, we are actively working to make it a little bit more comfortable on the sort of cold nights and things. So we want the marquees to come into play. And even if it means, you know, we're not, we're not serving alcohol in the marquee, you'd, you'd still have it at least for a bit of a, you know, sort of coming out the weather and so on. Um, so as, as per everything we're doing in the club, whether it's players or team or, or, or hospitality or anything, it's continual improvement. And um, within a sort of realistic timescale, if you like, but we don't want to stand still. There's still a lot to do. And, you know, it seems what we've done so far has helped a lot. Yeah, we just want to develop that a bit further on. So it will be a little bit that gets through the winter. And then next season, hopefully, it will be far more of a kind of a decent solid fan zone area so yeah we've got like a we make a list of the things that we want to do off season and the little things we want to do in between so but it's it's just continual improvement so you know we thank everyone for their patience as well during that yeah and um well i certainly look forward to that i mean i spend a lot more time in the screw fix stand now i'm uh, commentating but any chance i do get to go up there it, it always looks great and i'm looking forward to see what happens Good in the summer steve i i don't know if you um get much chance to go up there considering you're usually um abroad but i don't know if you've been to the the fan zone yet and what you think of it no no i haven't actually um but listen i think it- football's moved on massively now and, and like the 90 minutes isn't the be all and end all you know the stadium's there as a resource to be used for the business to make money, and, and whether that's Monday to Friday or whether it's maximising revenues on on a match day, you've got to think a bit outside the box, and you've you've just got to make you know as best use of the facilities that you can. So anything the club can do to generate revenues that can be ploughed back into you know helping the football team, which is ultimately is is what everything's all about, putting the best team on the field. They've got to be good ideas, and and certainly like. You know what I'm hearing is that people enjoy it. There's, there's a great atmosphere. It, it it's almost like the Americans when they tailgate, don't they? Before any major sporting event, people are there hours beforehand, yeah. and it's a way of drawing more people in and getting a, a closer association with the club. So yeah. all those little things, just another tick in the box on on the way to you know giving people a better experience. It, it was certainly one of our one of our sort of uh, things we wanted to do when we went in. There was a huge amount of talk before we got the club. Of, uh, of the lack of match day experience, and I think a, um, I'll say a rival or a similar podcast service in the area that uh, that do a survey and they rate it across how's the how's the manager doing, how's the how's the match day experience, how's the whatever whatever, and we were able to compare you know what fans thought of the match day experience back in April to say last month, and certainly going by that, it's made improvements and. And it is, um, you know, Steve's absolutely right that it's no longer the 90 minutes. It's It should be a day out. It should be, you know, from whenever we open at, say, 12 to whenever we, you know, sort of see the last ones off it, I don't know, six or whatever it is. It's And, and if we're not doing that, someone else is providing that for them. So better yeah. than we do, really. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing as well is it, it buys you much more licence. If things aren't going quite as well on the pitch... You know, because that happens. You can have the best side and things just go wrong. It's chem- Football chemistry is really difficult and the smallest little thing can be and you suddenly lose a player or you lose a game. Um, but when, when the stuff around the club is it's a better experience and people enjoy the engagement more, they're more tolerant of things going wrong on the field because they still have this association. It's our club. You know, we go there for more than just the football. Yeah. So I think, that's, I think it's massive, you know, and... and Maybe years ago, people just turned up because it was the only show in town, wasn't it? People were coming from the villages and watch us at the old Hewish, and that was the only event happening. But now there's so much to compete with it. You've got to give them an experience over and above just the 90 minutes. Totally. Yeah, if you don't give them the respect, I mean, as I've said before, any other business, any other 
retail outlet or, or, or business which relies on consumers, you can't shortchange them or, or long-term it's going to affect you. And, Grikey, we saw 10 years of long-term how it affected the club when you when you treat fans in a certain way. So, yeah, you just you just can't um, you can't shortchange them in that respect. I agree. I think it helps as well. Adding to the show is that even on the pitch, they've got something to get excited about for the ninety minutes. So it it encourages even further. You get to add to the show with a good bit of football and um, mm. and uh, well, at the moment, usually a win. So it's always yeah. a bonus. Do you have any um, questions from Mark regarding reinforcements for the squad in the upcoming months? Obviously, with Christmas being a busy period for everybody, does he have any uh, ideas on what he may want on his Christmas list? Again, really, like like we've done at the start of the season, it's the sort of thing where when he has those ideas, he'll come to me. Other than that, you know, he, he knows it. The difference being is he, he can begin that thought process before coming to me, knowing that he has that say free reign, but that those parameters in which to work. And the thing with Coops is he'll always have a clear rationale and a justification as to why he wants to do that. So it's not a kind of wild speculative chuck a load of money at something. You know, in fairness to Coops, he's always with every player that we've we've uh we've put on the team since the start of the season he's always had a clear rationale behind it now you know at that point it is just a rationale but let's face it it's um you know he's he's proved right in that so the the difference being is is that he can have those thoughts and begin that process before he comes to me and asks for me to endorse it if you like so I think that's why it's working so well is, you know, let's face it, he's, he's, he's proved that to be the case. So he's, he's got that much more credence in the sense of, you know, it's likely to be the right choice. But I think Coops has said it before, you know, for every, for every five players, for example, you put on, one of them might not work out because it's football and it's humans and they've all got all sorts going on in their lives. But in general, by the time he comes to me and you know, there's other people involved in the in the in the business, and um, Reese certainly likes likes that part of it as well. So, by the time it comes to me, it's more of a case of a rubber stamp rather than a you know a, a, a deciding factor, if you like. Yeah, I don't, Steve, I don't know if you've got any um, additional thoughts. Perhaps you've got some ideas on uh, on recruitment, but uh, yeah, I don't know if you've got any thoughts to add on. No, no. Listen, I mean, I don't I don't know the squad well enough, and uh, you know, it's. When you're the manager, managing the players that aren't playing is as difficult as managing the players that are playing. So, you know, Coops will know the, the dressing room better than anybody. I think, I mean, a couple of my experiences down the years are that's the process you want. As a, as a coach, you need to be bound by the financial realities of the club you're working at. You can't just go around with a wish list of this player, that player for no particular reason. And I've seen that happen so many times where a new manager comes in and just wants his own players, you know, inverted, come watch your own player, I don't know. And they just change players for the sake of changing players. There's a cost implication to getting players out, unless you can move them on to another club. And there's a cost implication of getting new players in. Then you have the problem if, the, if it doesn't work and the manager goes, then there's a cost implication with the manager going, and then the new manager wants players, etc., etc. So I've seen that, which doesn't work. And I've seen it the other way when I worked in Belgium and Holland, where we went to the, the board with specific players with specific technical or tactical competencies and said this is what we need as a piece of the jigsaw to make the team better and they went and said no we want this one and gave us somebody completely different who just didn't and there was no rationale for that player coming in so it didn't add anything to what we'd got in fact it was completely like detached from what we'd got so we couldn't contribute in any way shape or form so I think you know and it's the it's inside the club it's internal workings of the club and obviously it seems to be working really well at the moment, but there has to be that clear understanding of what's the manager's responsibility in terms of looking at players, what's the recruitment, and ultimately, you know, is it within the remit of the club to give the, the coach those players he, he says he wants or he needs? And it does um, have to be, uh, and, and that has to be clear from the start, doesn't it, Martin? You can't yeah, totally. you can't be changing that as you go. That's right, and and you, you kind of start the budget. You know, and, you, and it's all about discipline and, and it's, it's, it's less about football at that point and more about business because, you know, <coughs> excuse me, you've got to think when you set a 
set an overall player budget, you've also got a lot of things like appearance bonuses, 10 match bonuses, goal bonuses and all of that. And the, the biggest danger when you've got a budget which, you know, by all admission is considerably bigger than most in our league is you can't fall into the trap of, well, there's this guy and it would only be just a little bit more than we said, yeah. a little bit more than we said. And when those things add up, it can start to get seriously out of hand without um, without realising it. So um, Keeps is certainly realistic to that. And I must say that if there was someone that was catching his, catching his eye or someone that would help bolster the side, the first thing he would be looking at is how we will subsidise that cost or mitigate it by perhaps moving someone on to somewhere else. So, you know, he's, he's keeping a tight eye on the figures as, as well and he's, he's, he's well aware that we need to do that. Things, you know, are still, you know, working themselves out as such. Yeah. 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 And that, that's important as well, isn't it? Because you, you want a manageable size of your squad. I mean, you look at some of the squads and they've got 56 players in the Football League and you're like, what on earth do you do with them all? You need a manageable squad that you can work with because you need to try and get them amount of game time, etc. That's it. You be... touched on it yourself, Steve. It's, 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 it's as much of a concern as managing the players that aren't getting game time. Yeah. You know, they get restless. They want, you know, they need that. And so, yeah, it's a juggling act. So we can have a huge war chest of players, but if they're not getting time on the pitch, that can start yeah. to breed sort of animosity and so on. So it... It's, it's, it's no mean feat, I should think. It's not a job that I would particularly want. But, you know, we seem to be just about getting it right as far as results go. Yeah, with the... Well, we'll go completely off track now with this final one. Um, so we don't have too much of your time left. Who is the greatest shop? It's uh, I think it's a pretty obvious question. Um, obviously, with the, the, uh, the sponsorship from Audi for the, oh. the one-off... I've actually got a question about that. Um, who approached who? Was this uh, was this MS Biggin at Wrexham and you took the opportunity or did they, they come to you? Um, as a club, we took the opportunity. The 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 individual credit with that is Reese, um, you know, uh, one of our directors. He's he's quite a quite a sly fox in, in some respects. And um I think what I've learned about Aldi is they, they have a, a very shrewd quite fun marketing team on board um i believe it's been you know been been quoted several times about them before we did this but but it's sort of all the planets aligned didn't they you know we're, we're going up to wrexham marks and spencer have just formed this new partnership with wrexham obviously a lot of news in the past about this cuthbert and colin sort of cakes and so on so it was an opportunity to have some fun but on the serious side, and, and what we've picked up from, from other approaches is because of the story we've created and, and because it's getting traction, we're getting a lot more interest from national brands, if you like, who you know might want to focus on this area as a as a as a commercial interest. You know, you've got to bear in mind that there's some seriously interesting stats coming from the club. I mean not to name the team, but we've got more social media impressions than a than a certain League One um, club in the Southwest, and so all that together. I mean, if you take, for example, on the way back yesterday, I think Ryan Reynolds um, retweeted something mentioning the club. I mean, that had a million views um, before I woke up this morning, and so we're sort of a mini Wrexham story, and I think. If you're any smart sort of company, sponsorship sponsorship is all about being associated with a success story. And so we're getting a bit more of that. Audi were brilliant. I thought they were fantastic. They pulled out all stops. And, you know, without suggesting too much, I think there might be future interest from them as far as the club goes. And to be honest with you, I think they've got some pretty amazing exposure from it themselves. So so I would have thought it added up. And um, that's not to say that we don't value every sponsor we've got in the club and local companies and things, but it gets that traction and it gets the attention of bigger brands, which, of course, suits the club, suits the fans and, and suits possible ambitions moving forward. So it's the sort of thing we want to develop with, with other companies. So I think Marks and Spencers were a little bit more magnanimous about the whole thing. 
whereas Aldi perhaps a little bit cheeky and, and you know I like a bit of that and I think we all enjoyed it but yeah it shows that I mean you're a National League South team with an with with a practically an international brand on the front of the shirt um it's pretty amazing stuff really so I think they're just enjoying partnering with a with a club that's you know the turnaround and where we're going is it's quite infectious to be honest so so hopefully there'll be a bit more of that yeah well, it was quite fitting having um Audi sort of a, a a well-known cheaper supermarket as as part of the underdog side and then the uh, the the big money bag Wrexham having having the fancy M&S I thought it was quite fitting yeah um I yeah I think it was a, a a really great bit of work and not only that I think the Audi logo actually looked pretty good on the front of the shirt as well That's... so if they want to come back then by all means go for it yeah <laughs> um I'm not sure how much more we've got of your time. I don't know, if, uh, Steve. You've got any any last words for Martin before he heads off? No, no, not really. I mean, I didn't realise that had happened, but obviously the the Audi logo was really was really prominent and, and you know and clear. And and that is the thing, isn't it? You, you get the success, you get the traction, and it's easier then to get other people to get on board. But you've just got, you've just got to get that first bit of momentum going forward. It's it's been easier for Wrexham because they've got two international superstars. Who've been able to go on to you know whatever it is they've, they've done is it Twitter or something and got people involved and TikTok and all that sort of stuff and in, like you say it's like a mini version of the same thing but people want to be associated with success uh, and it's much easier to sell the product when it's when it's successful. That's, so. that's it and you know it, it's a it's a business that I bought and it's a you know it is a business and you know turning it around for the fans the feeling the. The personal feeling and the and the and the, and the gratitude—it's all very humbling. But if off the back of that, we can attract some serious kind of sponsors and 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 move it up a couple of notches, then it just helps to bolster our our sort of uh, strength and our you know sustain the club. So so they all seem to be coming together, sort of nice sort of uh, speed together. So it's great. And uh, and with that, I think we've come to an end with uh, with Martin's time. So, Martin, thank you very much for coming on for this first half hour. It's been a pleasure to speak to you once again. Thank you. And, and again, you know, as I always say, thanks to all the fans and the support. And it's a it's a continual journey. And we're, we 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 haven't even started yet. So so keep that support. And it's brilliant. We appreciate it. Lovely. And uh, with that, we will uh, have a quick advert. And we'll be right back with some more general football from the Premier League weekend. And welcome back. Lovely to hear from our sponsor just there. Uh, we have made a substitution, halftime substitution. Leaving the field is Martin Hellier. And coming on in his place is Mr. Rick Hyatt. Welcome aboard, Rick. Hello, mate. Anyone would think he was trying to avoid me. <laughs> He's tried his best, but we've wrangled him in. And uh, of course, we still have Mr. Steve Ratter here as well. Rick, before we hop into the Premier League action from the weekend, um, did you watch it? Did you actually get ITVX working or did you listen in to uh, the Wrexham game? I may have used an alternate feed. And, uh, a legal yeah, one. I did, have, I did have your commentary on, you, uh, you and Gav. And that was very good. Well done. Yeah, Wi-Fi as well is lovely. I know. The luxury. Beautiful. Yeah. Hollywood, baby. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I think, um, well, we didn't touch on it too, too much. But yeah, I think Yeovil did pretty well. Um, shame about the goals. But other than that, I think they had a very good showing against what's essentially a League One team. So I don't yeah. think there's any complaints from, from my side. Feel you with confidence going forward. I mean, I don't know what, Steve, what do you th- how do you think they matched up against a Team 2 division yeah. higher? I said it, it's awkward, isn't it? Because it was, it was a great draw because of the romance of the whole thing, it being Wrexham and Yeovil being this FA Cup giant killer. I'm not sure that they were at their best. Yeovil played well, particularly having, when they went a goal down. They had a really good period for about 20 minutes or so. And then when the second goal goes in, you know, it's one of those, are Wrexham just going through the yeah. game in the second half, just minimum, you know, but Yeovil had a bit more control of the game. Um, and then one, you know, the lad slips at the back and just loses his foot in, and they're in, and it's three 0 and it's, you know, it's game over. But I think they listen. They they can be pleased with the way they perform. They were competitive. They looked decent. They looked like they knew what they were doing. They were yeah. playing to a plan, um, you know. And like you say, it, it bodes well going forward because they're not going to meet any other side in the league anything like the quality of Wrexham, are they? Let's be honest. They're going to, you know, Wrexham are on, in a league of their own, really, even even where they are. So yeah, in the um, division they're in, they're one of the big. Big fish Absolutely. in that division, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So, so really, it was a it was a free hit for Yeovil. They could go, they could play, they could enjoy the day out. 
Um, and like we said, if you're going to get drawn away against a, a league side in the second round of the FA Cup, then better it be that somebody like that, with all the attention, than with all due respect, you're away at Cambridge United or you're away at, you know, stop, I don't know. Well, it's a better draw. Colchester United or somewhere. Yeah, at, le- at least it was, a, they it, was a, got, um, it was a draw. It's a better draw than they would have got in the third round, actually. Yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. Media-wise so, and attention-wise. So, uh, they got the, got the best of that. They squeezed everything out of that FA Cup run they could have done. It's just yeah, the absolutely. biggest disappointment, and I can tell the thing that's most disappointing listeners of Three Valleys Radio, is had it gone to a replay, we would have had the home FA Cup commentary team, uh, and that would have just assured a, a victory, don't you reckon, Tom? It would have topped it off, I think. It was, it was gas so. fault. It's what the public was... wanted. <laughs> For the people. Right, we will hop into the Premier League action. I'm not sure 100% how much time we have, so we're going to go in a bit of a higgledy-piggledy order. Um, we will start on Saturday, though, with what was actually predicted pretty well as being one of uh, the first on match of the day. Uh, it was Burnley 5, Sheffield United 0. Now, I think a lot of us saw a Burnley win coming, but I don't think we saw quite this coming. Of course, this has also led to the sacking today of Paul Heckingbottom. Um, to be honest, I'm impressed he lasted past the 8-0. So I think a 5-0 is pretty much the final nail in the coffin. Um, Rick, what are your thoughts on this, uh, well, devastation for Sheffield United and an impressive performance for Burnley? It's inevitable, isn't it, really? It's one thing losing 8-0 against... It was Newcastle, wasn't it? The, yeah. The, 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 yeah. The 8-0. I mean, that's one, that's one thing. But then to lose... 5-0 to the team, the only team in the league that's below you, realistically, then, uh, yes, obviously, the straw that broke the proverbial camel's back, and it it does give whoever comes in a bit of time to try and work something and get them out of it, but they're in a worse position than uh, at this stage of the season than Derby were in their record-breaking season, so whoever it comes on has got a, who comes in there has got a mammoth mammoth task ahead of them but then again that could well be seen as being a a free hit and an opportunity to uh whatever you get out of it you get out of it and then set yourselves up hopefully for a promotion charge next season because i don't i think that's that might be a step beyond anybody trying to to get sheffield united out of the relegation zone this season yeah and uh steve i i saw that well at least on uh on social media the early uh, rumours are that uh, Mr. Chris Wilder could be making a return to the dugout yeah. following his um, somewhat dismal spell at Watford. Um, would you say that's probably the right move for them? Go back to familiarity? Of course, he brought them from League One to the Premier yeah. League in his original stint with the club. Um, listen, in, in the pre-season, they sold their two best players. They yeah. sold NDA to Marseille and they sold Sanderberg, ironically, to Burnley. Um, which probably told you everything about Sheffield United's season in the Premier League this year, whoever is in charge. Um, you know, I've gone into this habit now of saying you could put Harry Potter in charge and he would still have a job on his hands. Um, and that's the reality, you know. Uh, I feel sorry for Paul in a way because it was inevitable they were going to be near the bottom of the table. I think the nature of the defeat um, and the fact that it was against Burnley, who were the only side below them, hadn't won a home game all season. Um, the first home win of the season as well. Um, but you look at the money that Vincent Company's been able to spend at Burnley in the contrast to the money that's been spent at Sheffield United. Um, and ultimately, you know, Burnley are going to perform at some stage. Sheffield United confidence will be rock bottom. So as soon as they go one goal, two goals down, then unfortunately they've just got, you know, no resolve within them. Um, changing the manager, will it make a difference? Historically, evidence would suggest that no, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. You don't um, reckon they're going to manage to pull away then? Sorry? You don't think they'll pull away from it, whoever comes in? No, I don't think so. I mean, listen, it happens every now and again, but they are real outliers. You know, they're real unusual circumstances. If, if you're down there at this period of the season, in the way they are, it, it, with the players they've got, it would take something miraculous for them to get out of trouble. Moving on from that, from one team, well, two teams that are in trouble currently, to um, another who could well be in trouble. Uh, come the end of the season, uh, was Brentford finishing 3-1 winners against Luton. Um, I was rather busy on Saturday, so I didn't get to see this, but I see that Luton uh, had a bit of fight in them. Going from It was 2-0 down, got a goal, and then five minutes later, they were kind of put back in their box with the third. Um, Steve, we'll stay with you. Do you see um, 
sort of light at the end of the tunnel for Luton at all? I mean, three one away to Brentford isn't an awful result in uh, in the grand scheme of things. No, and I, you know, I've obviously got a vested interest because I worked there for a season, and when we got up, when we went from League One to the Championship, the only difference for me with Luton and any other club that goes up is that the people that run the club have a real clear idea of who they are, where they are, and what is potentially going to happen to them over the next 12, 18 months. They will be perfectly okay if they get relegated. They will be like Burnley were with Sean Dyche. They'll be in a better position to come back in the following year. Can they stay out of it? Possibly. Have they really got Premier League quality from back to front? No. Um, But there are some other sides that are struggling as well. And what they've got is a real sense of unity within the club that might just might just get them enough points. Rick, I don't know if you've uh, got anything to add to that. Other, I'm not sure if you're like me and uh, being a big fan of Neil Mope, but he got himself on the score sheet on uh, on I Saturday. Know. Who'd I have thought? Who'd have thought? I mean, the thing that strikes me about Luton is very similar to to Burnley. I think it's unlikely that whatever happens, Burnley will sack Vincent and Company because I think, like Luton, they've got a plan. And it's a plan for the future, and it has probably allows for them to get relegated this season and potentially come back stronger. So I think of the three promoted teams, the one that was most likely to, the, the one that seemed a bit rudderless was Sheffield United. But I think with Everton, which we may well go on to, getting a win, uh, Luton and uh, Sheffield United are really sort of like relying on somebody else being dragged into that at the moment. So, yeah. Difficult times, difficult times for Luton. But like Steve says, I think they've got a they've got a master plan, and this is this may well be part of it. Yeah, it may well be a team that um, I thought was going to be down at the bottom as well, and in fact are not. Is uh, Wolves who travelled to Arsenal and uh, fell to a two-one defeat. Rick, your favourite man, Mikel Arteta, obviously uh, masterminding another win. Um, I did see the Wolves actually had their keeper subbed off in the 23rd minute with an injury. So hopefully uh, Jose Sar's okay. But um, comfortable 2-1 victory, top of the league, all things going well for Arsenal at the moment. Well, technically that was a draw, wasn't it? Because Arsenal won the first half and Wolves won the second half. So to my mind, that's, that, that's, a, that's a, a technical draw, isn't it? Is that how football works now? No, it doesn't, unfortunately. <laughs> Arsenal, Arsenal looked immense in the in the first 20 sort of minutes and then, and then they sort of took the foot off it and let Wolves back into it and come the end of it from what I saw uh, they were sort of hanging on a little bit to, for, for the win at the end so Gary O'Neill continues to do a decent job but if I was an Ars- Arsenal supporter I'd be a bit disappointed after that start that they didn't go on and capitalise it, on it and, and get three or three or four because they looked very much in, in control of the game up to that point Steve, I don't know if you've seen Match of the Day or, or any highlights at all from that. I don't know if you've got much to add to that one. Yeah. Only that, like, managers do things in the games, you know, that change the momentum. And people watch games, and sometimes, you know, like Rick was saying there, a team's really dominant for 10, 15 minutes. And then the other manager makes a small tweak. And, and we, you know, we talked earlier on the podcast about it earlier tonight. It only takes a real little thing to change the dynamic in the changing room. And it only takes a small, subtle adjustment to make a difference on the field. Suddenly, somebody can't get on the ball and get turned to play forward anymore, and the speed goes out of their attacks. So, you know, as much as you might say, well, when you're dominating, you should go and score three or four, the purpose of the other team is to stop you doing that. So maybe there's been a little bit of a tactical adjustment there with Gary O'Neill. Maybe he's just changed the shape of his players to stop Arsenal getting through them as easily. Um I was a bit like you. I thought at the start of the year with everything that was happening at Wolves, they might implode and be one of those sides that just crashed and burned. But they seem to have stabilised quite well. Um, and I'm just looking at the table here. You know, you've got Sheffield United, Burnley, Everton, Luton, Bournemouth and then Forest. And then after that, you go up to sort of like Fulham and Wolves. And I can't really see any of them getting dragged no. into a relegation battle, no. if I'm honest. So I think it might be the four or five at the bottom... And Everton are quite resilient, I think, under Daishi. They'll pick up more points and keep winning games like they grind them out. Um, so there's probably Bournemouth and Forest might be the other two that might just get dragged back down there with Luton, Burnley and, and Sheffield United, I think. But I think Wolves will be fine. Yeah, they certainly look it. And um, yeah, another impressive performance from Gary O'Neill's side. Um, a less impressive performance, we could say, came in the 8pm kickoff, uh, as Rick sort of 
looks a little bit exasperated where uh, Newcastle defeated Manchester United by one goal to nil. Steve, we'll stay with you because we're going to save the best uh, for just a moment. Um, I was half watching this one, I'll admit, but every time I looked, it was pretty toothless from a United perspective. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. They just—they really seem, don't they, over the last few years to have lost their way. They don't seem to have any of the real big characters who can drag them through games. There's not a Steve Bruce or a Roy Keane or you know. They just—they just, do. They seem like not not necessarily toothless, but they don't seem to have a lot of character within the squad. Um, and you know, and the goal. To be fair, like we've talked before about different players, but like Wan Bissaka. Uh, you like how he's allowed it, how he's allowed Anthony Gordon to get across the back of him and get in there to score? I just no, I've no idea. It's just the defending is just rank, you know. And and for that level, uh, they they shouldn't be giving away goals as easily as that. Rick, as uh, the resident United fan here, give us your thoughts. Basically, it's the first time ever in my life I wished Adrian Hopper was here. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often, <laughs> but um, I think. As much as the the scoreline actually flatters United in that scoreline, there that they they were far worse than one nil behind behind Newcastle, and it's just after a couple of reasonable performances, United take their foot off the the gas again and just didn't turn up. Just really did not turn up, and it's a sad state of affairs when the only two United players that really came out of that with any sort of a credit were Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire. And they've been trying to sell Harry Maguire for most of the season. And you take the captain's armband off him, and all of a sudden, he starts playing like a captain, which is quite bewildering. But I think that um, Anthony Martial is a lost cause. But if I was, if, if, if I was uh, Rashford, I would be having a look round at myself and having a word with myself and thinking, what have I become? Because somebody put something on, on Twitter earlier on today, basically of of his performance and his arm waving and his lack of effort, his lack of tracking back, his lack of anything. And he doesn't, it's, a, it's like a minute and a half and he doesn't come out of it very well at all. And from, from a lad who's, who's just signed a, a contract worth allegedly about £300,000 a week, the least you expect is him to put a shift in. And he just wasn't, he wasn't there. Uh, the, the best United players were just above average. The rest of them were mediocre. And the, those two up front were, were so poor, so far away from what was required. It's, it's embarrassing. It just nails home again. I know it's easy and it's, it's, it's a bang that I particularly keep drumming about the owners and the structure of the club and everything. But Kieran Trippier was coming back to this country. He's a United supporter. His family are United supporters. And the United board decided that he wasn't worth that investment. And you look at what he's doing at Newcastle now. And Steve was saying about the characters involved. That's exactly the sort of character that you would want within your squad right now. There are precious few of them in the Manchester United squad at the moment. And he would have been one that would, wouldn't accept a slacking off of standards and would try to, to drag the team up to where they want, want to be. And at the moment, they're just, they're just, wandering it's hopeless yeah. it really is a bad state of affairs help me out you Steve. can't actually <laughs> no you, i'm not sure there's anything else to say because you can't actually see that they're moving in any particular direction yeah you know you looked at it and when when ten Hag came in he got a really good record and, and the one thing about dutch coaches is they're very very direct about what they want you know yeah. and, and almost offensive at times because they're so blunt you know pertinent and to the point yeah and maybe he doesn't want characters in the changing room because maybe he doesn't want people that are going to challenge his authority. But if he's, if he's not going to have that, Steve, doesn't he... Again, it's another thing that Dutch managers seem to have is they have this whole thing of a structure and a way of playing. And that's the one thing that the side doesn't We You don't see that either. No. no you don't see that either. And, and, and the reality is, I mean, I, I think when you're in Holland, even at a club like Ajax, you can get away with it because a lot of the players are younger. A lot of the players will be Dutch and they'll play in a certain way. They'll come up through the academy yeah. and you can integrate one or two players into that and they can, you know, you can almost robotically tell them what to do. It's yeah. like it's like very high speed. It's the same system, dancing. but it's just at a different level, isn't it? It's rather it's than like, a youth level. They're playing the same but system, the, but it's senior yeah, absolutely. level. Absolutely. But in, but in the Premier League, when you're coming up against the best players in the world, you've got to have players who can make decisions in the heat of the game. You've got to be able to go off 
you know, off kilter slightly and yeah. make a decision because they see a problem that hasn't been, you know, uh, preempted by the manager or the coach or whatever. They don't seem to have anybody that wants to take responsibility when there's a problem to say, hang on, lads, we need to do this, sort this out. They were so easy to play through. They never recovered. They got stretched. And like you say, you just, you don't know what they're trying to do defensively. You don't know what they're trying to do in attack. They go two goals up away in was it Galatasaray and then mm-hmm. manage to lose a two-goal advantage. Go three, one up and lose it again. Go back yeah. to three, three. And it's it's just like week after week, there's just another problem. And and I can't see they've made any progress at all. They've just got different players. Yeah. I mean, the only hope as a, as a Manchester United supporter is if any else are coming in, hopefully in the next week or two, then maybe, and Radcliffe is supposed to be taking over the football side of the club, then maybe there will be a structure put in there moving forward. And hopefully, you know, he'll get some people in, some football people in making decisions and that'll uh, hopefully get, point things in the right direction. But the saddest oh. thing about Manchester United and the thing that really exemplifies the situation in there at the moment is... Anthony Martial is seven months away from being eligible for a testimonial, and he should have been out the door years ago. So that's where well. that's where they are. Move on, Tom. Talk about something <laughs> nice and exciting and cheerful. Well, something that's not exactly nice and exciting and cheerful is is the final game from Saturday, which was a Forest nil, Everton one. Solid performance from Everton to get themselves another three points. Unfortunate from a Forest perspective as well. Saw a couple of good players in there as well. Um, I saw that um, their centre-back, Mario, had a really good game. But um, James Garner, deservedly man of the match. Um, I'm only going through this one very quickly just because we've got some very exciting ones from Sunday and I'm not sure how much time we've got. So, um, There's one from Sunday you, you can miss out. I, I don't think anyone will complain if you miss out one game. What, West Ham 1, Palace 1? No, keep going. Bournemouth 2, Villa 2? No. <laughs> Go on. I'm avoid- Okay, we'll start it. Right, Liverpool 4, Fulham 3. Jeez. Um, what a game to start with. I mean, the goal from McAllister, the the free kick that I feel is harshly given to uh, Bert Leno as an own goal, uh, but what a strike it was. This game had everything. Goals, goals, goals. If only Mr. Pry was here. Steve, what were your thoughts? A terrific game. I mean, for an entertainment, for a weekend of entertainment, it was terrific, weren't it? That game, the Tottenham Man City game as well. It is an own goal. Because if it doesn't hit him on the back, it's not going in. Because when you watch the trajectory of the ball, it's coming back out into the field of play. So he's not going to score unless it hits the goalkeeper. So it is an own goal. Um, as much as Trent wants to claim it, I'd say to him, well, get it three, six inches lower, Trent, and you'll get it next time. Um, but not a bad strike, but a great game. And, and everything that's brilliant about the Premier League and English football, cut and thrust, you know, attacks at either end, lots of goalmouth activity and a last-minute winner. So really, it did sum up the joy of... of English league football. Rick, do you have anything to um, add to that? After 80 minutes, I was watching this and I was enjoying it very, very much. And then it all went, it went down here. It was refreshing, I think, to, to see a pair of pigtails in the Premier League. It's something that obviously the, the league's not had before. And that, that was very pleasant. But uh, no, nah, everything that's wrong with United isn't wrong with Liverpool, is it, at the moment? As much as I want them to lose, they thoroughly deserve to to uh, win that game. Although Fulham, fair play to Fulham. I did say quite flippantly on the prediction show that they were going to win 2-0 and then they turned around, they very nearly pulled it off for me. I'm just glad that I wasn't, I was poised to send you a WhatsApp message. I'm just glad I didn't. There was a, there was a reason I only predicted a 2-1. Is I didn't ex- it was going to be a close game. I just didn't expect it to be this many goals. Yeah, they for some reason, Fulham always do well against us. I mean, both games they played against us last season, they were good. I mean, they drew with us at home and then gave us a, a good game at Anfield in February, March, whenever it was. So um, I never liked playing Fulham, despite their table position saying uh, they're not quite at the races. Two teams that were, were Manchester City and Spurs. On the coach home, we were just hearing the end of this game and, uh, well drama from the 15 minutes that we had so i don't know if what it looked like from a tv perspective right it looked like uh spurs had thrown it away and then got back into it i mean it was the most unspursy performance you could you could ever imagine to keep fighting like they did and as much as ten hag hasn't got a style of play at manchester united Postacoglu has got a style of play at spurs and they all seem to be buying into it and they're all playing for him and Fair play to them. Uh, I think it's 
I hope, hopefully, I mean, it, the processes are uh, in the wheels are seem to be turning at the moment for disciplinary action against Manchester City for their performance around the referee, particularly Haaland, who certainly is the ugly side of uh, professional football at the moment. But, I mean, fair play to, to Spurs. They kept going and got something out of a game that I think 99% of the viewers didn't think that they were going to get out. I look forward to the 100k fine that he gets for shouting the F word at uh, Simon Hooper twice. I mean, if that's what Van Dyke's going to receive, then uh, I'll be disappointed You'd if so, Harlem receives anything less. Yeah. But um, you never know. I suppose we'll wait and see on that one. Steve, what were your thoughts on the game? Again, I mean, a brilliant advert for, for top-level football. And, and you know, everything done with pace and quality. And, you know, even the final goal, the, the quality of the cross and the, the way Kulishevsky gets a crossing on the header back into the near, you know, into the near post. Brilliant. And Andrew Postcoggle, who said at the end, you know, it's a shame if a game of that quality, at the end, all people are talking about is the refereeing decision. Yeah. But, I, but I have to say, it was shambolic. Um, you know, you've, you've had the incident in the Champions League the other week, didn't you, when the referee's been stood down, the line, the one of the officials have been stood yeah. down, the, um, the VAR, VAR officials been stood down. Yeah, yeah VAR officials been stood down. This referee clearly waves play on, and then when they get the advantage, blows the whistle and calls it back. I mean, it's just an unbelievable decision. Do you think he did so that because think... he saw it was Jack Grealish and thought he's got no chance of scoring? Thought he might, he couldn't outrun him. Yeah, he saved might him, save yeah, him so the embarrassment. Advantage. <laughs> um, you know, and you, you can't necessarily condone what's going on, but the way they respond and that. But I, I, I genuinely now, hand on heart, I, I think that somebody has to do something about the standard of officiating at the highest level. If they're going to talk about spending all this money on referees and VAR and all that stuff, then they better start getting it right instead of getting it wrong week after week after week. And like they said, you know, that if he gets through and scores and they get they get two extra points, ultimately at the end of the season, if they leave, lose the league by one point, then what do you do? Do you, do you sue him for, for negligence? What, you know, because this, this is what the world's coming to. People are talking, yeah. Everton players are talking about suing Everton if, if they get relegated as a result of the 10 points deduction, apparently some of the Everton players are talking about suing Everton for costing them money because they'll get a reduction in their salary if they get relegated. Football's gone too far down this route now. You know, I, I think we really have to get to the stage where we, we give the referees back the control of the game, let them make decisions. They'll get some wrong. There'll be much less of a hoo-ha about it if it's not scrutinised and picked to pieces and the, you know, the bones picked dry basically but because it was it, it was always going to be the talking point because it was a shambolic decision and, and has no you know has no bearing in the laws of the game why he would do it I've no idea well there's two games um, like that that we've just discussed and yet what's the thing that we're talking about flipping VAR again isn't it it's yeah yeah ridiculous and, but but it's the only thing isn't it that comes up in every single game every game you watch there's the same the Chelsea penalty I mean you know, I keep going on about this. It's a bit of a, a bugbear, but the rules say that VAR should be used for clear and obvious, yeah. clear and obvious. That's errors. what they seem to have lost, isn't it? Now they're well, micromanaging absolutely. it. If, if you've got four punters sitting there talking about it, and two are saying it's one thing, one saying it's something else, and one saying he's not sure, then by definition, it's not clear and obvious. Absolutely, because clear and obvious would be all of us sitting there saying that's a penalty. The referee's just missed it for some reason. That's a penalty, and they've got themselves in such a hole now that every time they make a big mistake like this one, which could be game-costing or it could be title-costing at the end of the season, it is going to get absolutely scrutinised and the referee is going to get lambasted well, the, for the it. The daft thing about that particular one is it's frustrating sometimes when you know there's an offside, but they let play play out yeah, and then call absolutely. it back. So in this instance, wouldn't it have made sense if he had just let play play? I don't see there's any reason where... The, the advantage, City got more of an advantage from a free kick than they did that. If, if that bit of play had just, the pass hadn't gone to Grealish and it had just fuddled out into into touch yeah. for a throw-in or something, then call it back and give them the free kick. Absolutely. Which is the which is the purpose of allowing advantage. Yeah. But, you know, he's, he, but he's actually waved play on. Yeah. And you see him gesticulate play on. Yep. Then after he gets the pass away and he's in, he then, and you can see his one versus one running onto the, and he blows his whistle and you like... It's just unbelievable. Because that he's even done it. Now, even if he'd thought there was no advantage, at least let it run out and then call it back for the advantage. Why he had yeah. to stop it at that point? Only he knows. I don't know. 
which which is a shame because, as like Postacoglu said, it was a terrific game. Rick's absolutely right. Tottenham of yesteryear would have just collapsed and fallen apart. They've shown some real underbelly, real resilience. Um, so yeah, another another great game, but just unfortunately left with a bad taste at the end. And with that, uh, VAR chat is done for the day, hopefully. Um, <laughs> we will move on quickly to the Chelsea-Brighton game because, wow, Chelsea got a win. That's not something we've said too often this season and against a good team in Brighton as well. Um, Steve, I mean, there's a, a red card for Conor Gallagher in the first half as well. So 45 minutes for 10 men and beating Brighton yeah. is no mean feat. No, no, it wasn't. And, and to be fair to Brighton, they've... They've not lost their way, but he's making lots of changes week on week. Um, different players coming in, different players going out. They're still playing the same sort of style. Didn't do it quite as well. And to be fair, didn't really take advantage of the extra man. But then, like you say, you, you know, you say VAR's finished for the for the day, but the penalty goal is, you know, is given against James Milner. Um, I, I just can't, I just can't fathom it. I just, it's, it's, we're, it's a different world. But Chelsea don't care because they won. Talking about the VAR, just briefly. There, I was a podcast I listened to during the week, and they said that initially, when it was being mooted by FIFA to bring it in, it would it would probably only be used once every three or four matches, and it was just for clear and obvious errors. Well, what we've got is completely different to that. So, if it was just once every three or four matches, and it was just for clear and obvious errors, then I don't think anyone would be complaining about it. But yeah, Chelsea. Chelsea. I thought is that the best game that Fernandez has had for Chelsea? Do you think? Probably. I mean, he's got two there. goals. I mean, one was a penalty, but two goals is no mean feat. Yeah. And one he just got nicked to, didn't he, in the first half? He yeah. just tried to get on the end of a cross and the defender just got across him and cleared it. So he got into penalty box plenty of times. But that is the and joy of was, Chelsea. Where was VAR when Maradona punched that ball in the back of the net? I know. If we could go back in time. Now, there's a clear and obvious error yeah. that enough, everybody in the world could <laughs> see, apart from the referee. Could use it for that. No. We've had too much VAR. We... <laughs> We're now re-refereeing games from the 1986 World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Gascoigne's tackle against Nottingham Forest. Yeah. Was it a foul? Might have cost We've us got... the 66 World Cup, actually. We're going about that far. There you go. Sorry, Tom. Oh, it's all right. We've got a couple of minutes left to just cover the final two games. I don't want to touch too much on Bournemouth because I was wrong again. Um, <laughs> Bournemouth drawing two all with uh, Villa. Took a 90th minute equaliser from uh, Ollie Watkins. Is Ariola coming round your house for Christmas dinner? Because you've tried to get him on the dole since the middle of October. It's uh, uh, I can't comment on that one, but <laughs> it's uh, look they're proving me wrong. Fair enough. And I mean Dominic Solanke, another goal, so impressive from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, the final game was the West Ham one Palace one game. Of course, the one game that was shown on TV from the Turcock selection, um, typical of uh, of the Premier League. Doesn't look like too much actually happened in that one. Obviously, the early goal from Kudus before um, Yairo... Sorry, no, it was odds on Edward getting the uh, the equaliser for Palace. A couple of substitutions. There really wasn't much to go go off in that game. So, um, deservedly last on match of the day, great, I'd say. Great first, great first goal, then. I haven't fair. seen great it. Di- but, um, great yeah. diagonal pass. Set it back. Kudos runs onto it. Just one touch finish. He's yeah. had a good good couple Qual- of weeks, hasn't goal. he? Kudos for, for yeah, West Ham. Yeah. He's good certainly looking, looking a good, good player. player. you got to give him kudos where it's due. Have you <laughs> turned oh. into Dave Pryor in his absence? There's absolutely That's no why he's not here. I've, I've actually consumed him. This is the reason <laughs> that he's not here. He's had that written down since the start. Of the yeah, yeah. I'm going to shoot that one in. going to get it in somehow. Here it is. Boom, boom. There you go. <laughs> and on that wonderful note, I think that's time to wrap it up. Um, of course, if you can't wait, well, you can wait until Wednesday because you've got two options. We've got um, Football Bloody Hell coming on Wednesday. Um, alternatively, we have got live coverage of Bath City hosting Yeovil Town, where myself and Mr. Paul Thorpe will be back in the commentary box. So uh, feel free to join us for that one from 7.40. Um, I think all that's left for me to say is a very big thank you for Mr. Steve Rutter. Thank you for coming on. Cheers, mate. No problems. And uh, Mr. Th- uh, well, a big thank you to Mr. Rick Hyatt as well for uh, stepping in for the halftime show. Ah, Always a pleasure. Well done, Steve. You did the whole hour. Well done. <laughs> not got the stamina yeah, for it myself and, and i'm still awake <laughs> still going he's still going and it's uh well a thank you on behalf of martin helly although he said that earlier and a thank you from myself uh feel free to join us again on wednesday for another edition of football 
Bloody hell! I feel the smoke climbing down my cheek I hear the jokes and I smell the punch 